Welcome to the Masculinist Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Wren. To keep up with all the content and subscribe to my flagship newsletter, please visit themasculinist.com. And now for today's episode. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. I hope you had a good weekend. I know I did. I actually went to a church this weekend, uh, not my normal church, uh, but they did not actually say anything bad about dads. They actually had a very nice thing to say about dads. I'm like, wow, that might be only the second time I've ever been to church on Father's Day where I didn't hear at least some kind of negative comment about about men. So that, I was pretty happy for that. It was kind of a good experience. What else is up with me? Uh, last week, I was back in the gym uh, for the first time in like 15 months. You know, I'm a barbell lifter. I was a barbell lifter for like five years. I'd been a runner most of my life, and I switched over to barbell lifting. And then my gym got shut down when COVID hit, and I ended up switching back to running last summer. And I'd just been doing running um, and, and hadn't gotten back into the gym. And so last week, I went back to the gym, and it was it was pretty brutal, I can say. I, you know, I almost fell over trying to do empty bar warm-up sets in the squat, but uh, uh, it's like starting all over again, but I guess that's uh, what it's like. I'm already feeling like after about three days in the gym that I've made some good progress, so that's that's good. I hope you all are starting to come out of whatever kind of COVID uh, lifestyle changes that you might not want to persist to get back to normal. I hope that's all happening good for you. Today, I want to comment a little bit on the election in the Southern Baptist Convention. So they just had like their annual meeting, and I guess... The, there was a you know different candidates running for uh, president, and the most liberal candidate won. And again, I'm not going to go into all the details on the different denominations or theological disputes here because I'm not you know I'm not an XBC guy. I don't know all the things, but I want to kind of just step back and take a, li- a look at how some of what I see of the behaviors, the reactions, what they tell us basically about the differences between how conservatives think about things and how liberals think about about things. So I see this vote, I hear this vote you know, that happened, and like the very first thing that I start hearing is, okay, the SBC is heading for a split. Heading for a split. The SBC is going to split. And I gather, you know, conservatives are thinking about leaving the denomination. Maybe there's already churches that have, you know, disaffiliated from the denominations. And, and again, this goes to what I've, I've repeatedly said over and over. Conservatives are a people of exit. You know, things in the city neighborhoods start getting a little hot. You immediately move to to the suburb. California goes blue, move to Texas. Conservatives are people of exit, uh, much more so than people who kind of stand and fight or people who take new territory. And again, I'm not going to say that that's necessarily a total conservative defect because that's very deep in the American psyche. Right, we're we're a frontier nation where going to the frontier has always been, in essence, kind of a a time honored solution. But I do find it interesting, right, that you know you kind of lose one vote, and conservatives are already talking about heading for the exit. You know, and that's kind of weird to me because, especially since if you're a conservative, you just had some wins, right? Russell Moore was essentially pushed out of his job, well, it looks like, and he's sort of left the denomination for now, at least. A lot of people didn't like Beth Moore either. No relation, by the way. Uh, she left the denomination, so you know we actually did have some some of the people that didn't like kind of leaving it. Now you lose this vote, it's like, oh, we're going to have a split. And I, I want to anchor this conversation on something that Darren Beatty tweeted. I think it was even back in 2019 because it's a very profound statement. He said, "Quote: 
there is a profound psychological gulf between those playing for scraps and those playing for keeps, unquote. I'll repeat it again. There's a profound psychological gulf between those playing for scraps and those playing for keeps. And I think the key is liberals play for keeps, right? They are playing for keeps, and that's one of the reasons that they win. So just look at Russell Moore, for example, on his way out the door, all these people coordinating these leaks of these letters and abuse smears, etc., all dutifully reported and framed in the right way by their friendly uh, press, you know, they're ready to do it, man. They're ready to, like, hit you with whatever tricks they can hit you to try to get their way. And again, I always say, like, first off, I just keep repeating this over and over. These people do not care about abuse. Say, oh, how can you say that? Okay, anybody claims to be outraged about abuse, just go back, you know, Google them, look at their Twitter feed and say, what did they say? about abuse allegations at Raphael Warnock's church when he was running for Senate in Georgia. Go see what they said about Matt Chandler, who's an SBC minister, by the way, when the New York Times ran a massive article saying that that church had mishandled uh, incidents of abuse. If they didn't mention those two guys, you know, they're fakes, right? Their, their, their outrage about it is highly selective, period. And it was kind of interesting. I was thinking about Matt, Matt Chandler because there's this one guy, uh, you know, who did actually say, oh, man, this Matt Chandler thing looks pretty bad. And then the next day he comes back and tweets, you know, oh, you know, I was looking at this in more detail. And actually, you know, if you look at it, he probably did do all the right steps. And the situation was like it was almost as if his phone rang uh, or the, the talking points landed in his inbox. Of it. I don't really know what happened. But you can almost see it's like, oh, I withdraw my uh, statements about Matt Chandler. Can't do that. And, um, and again, those were those are New York Times sourced allegations, right? That's not that's not something that was in some blog somewhere. So again, I I think abuse is serious. If, if your own church has a, has something that's got abuse, if it's mistaken, it needs to be addressed. Okay, it's not about the optics or anything like that. It's about right and wrong and what to do. I always say. Take the take the log out of your own eye, but you start looking at this. It's like all these allegations that are abuse, they're entirely weapons deployed against political enemies. I don't think I've ever seen a single person who appears to apply, you know, an even-handed lens to abuse allegations um, out there. And I think this goes to show, right? They're willing to use, you know, abuse allegations, smears, leak, let anything it takes. To win, and, and I've thought about this a lot. I hear all these people complain. He's not an SBC guy, but I hear these guys complain about Tim Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Oh, you know they're liberal, they're this, they're that. I'm like, okay, you don't like what they're doing? Fine. Tell me this. Let's just say I handed you a little red button, just like in one of those memes you see on the internet. And I said, if you press this button, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York implodes, just completely craters and goes away. How many of the opponents? of Tim Keller would press that button. My guess is almost none of them would press that button. They just they just wouldn't do it. And I'm not saying, you know, that, that I think that should happen either. By the way, Redeemer's got a lot of troubles right now, by the way. Who knows what's going to happen with him? But, uh, you know, that's the difference. These guys are playing for keeps. It's interesting to contrast the reaction of conservatives to this SBC vote to the maybe more liberal reaction to some of the uh, conservative votes in the Presbyterian Church in America. So what are the big um, debates is going on in the PCA 
uh, is over something called side B sexuality. And this, you know, I don't pretend to understand um, all the details of this. Um, it's not something that I've studied in great detail, but it basically comes down to a, a position on how you should treat homosexuality. And I think the side B position uh, is basically that, um, you know, homosexuality is, is a sin, but it's an aid or, innate orientation that shouldn't be uh, attempted to be changed. Uh, and, uh, you know, as long as you're not actually having sex, um, you should identify as a gay Christian or whatever. I, I don't know all the details. Again, this is not about the theological details of the dispute. It's just about the kind of uh, denominational or organizational ways that people are approaching it. So this side B movement had been making progress within the within the PCA. A lot of conservatives didn't like it. So they put forth a motion to adopt this thing called the Nashville Statement, which was produced by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which took sort of a stand against that sort of thing. So this was approved by the PCA. Now, what did what did all the side B people do? Well, some of them complained about it. They're like, look, this is not a Presbyterian document, blah, blah, blah. But basically, they didn't leave. They all stayed. And then the PCA uh, had this study committee that they appointed to look into um, to look into you know sexuality issues. Issue report. They issued a report, and you know on the surface this report seems to side against the side B people. And nevertheless, you know I thought it was really kind of revealing a little bit that you know none of the leaders of this side B movement really said much about it. They didn't really complain much about it that I saw, and. You know, I, I think about that, like, why aren't they like, oh, we just lost, we lost these two votes, so we got to head for the exits. And like, no, they don't think that way. They don't think that way. And to go back to, um, I was just talking with somebody the other day um, who, who was, I think this was like in 2004 time frame, I'm not sure the exact date. He's like, yeah, you know, I remember I was talking with Rod Dreer, and I was telling him all about how, uh, you know, these states were approving these constitutional amendments on marriage. And then I'm like, see, Rod, don't you see that, uh, you know, uh, your side is winning? And Rod's like, actually, no, it's game over already. I mean, if you're p- putting stuff like that in place, it means you've already lost. And so maybe there's something like that there. Maybe that's the um, maybe that's the the idea. But it's interesting that, you know, losing a couple votes, or I don't know if the study committee thing's actually been approved or not, but, you know, things don't go your way. Most of them don't leave. They're staying right there, and they're thinking, okay, we're going to stay here because we are planning to win and run the table on this thing. We're not going to head for the exits and start over. We're eventually going to run those guys out of here. And so you can just see they're playing for keeps. So that's the question you got to ask. Are you playing for scraps or are you playing for keeps? And guess what? When you play for keeps, sometimes you end up as a casualty of war. You know, Gresham Machen— uh, you know, back in the day, in the early 20th century, this kind of conservative Presbyterian guy, he lost, he got kicked out. Now, there's a guy who I say, well, the fact that he started over with new institutions like the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, yeah, that's a guy who was justified because he stayed and fought the battle and he lost and then he got kicked out. But he's like, I'm not just going to leave, <laughs> you know, unless you beat me. So, you know what? Maybe you lose and get kicked out. Now, you always see these people on the on the internet um you know, talking about things like, well, it's too risky to get married. And this is like a lot of these like online right guys. It's, you know, marriage is a racket. You know, if, if, you, if you get divorced, you're, you're going to get destroyed in court. And it's like, okay, great. Let me, let me get this. You're worried about a bad divorce settlement, but you think that you're fighting to save Western civilization. But you're too, you're too afraid to even get married because, 
Uh, if you get married, you might end up divorced, you know, lose half your stuff and have to pay child support. Well, maybe you will. But if you're operating in that kind of mentality, you have already psychologically surrendered to your enemy. Now, um, when I say, you know, playing for keeps, am I saying to, to use shady tactics? No, I'm not saying to use shady tactics. Am I saying that you need to engage and just walk right into machine gun fire and sort of martyr yourself on one of these issues? No, I'm not saying that at all. You know, direct confrontation might be a good tactic. It might not, right? What works for them is not going to work for you, by the way. You know, all these kind of more uh, kind of lefty people, they're able to use things like abuse allegations because, you know, they've got control of the media. And so the media is going to determine which abuse allegations are there and which one's there. Not so, uh, you know, even if you come up with a legit abuse allegation, if it's against one of the people that they like, they're probably just going to bury it, ignore it, etc. Just like they did against Warnock, just like they did against Matt Chandler. In fact, you know, as I say, one of the worst things you can be in the world is a woman accusing a Democrat of abuse at a, at a, at a time when it actually matters. And so you can, you know, you can take a guy like Kavanaugh, right? They could, you know, the allegations are probably at some level fabricated against him. I mean, I say that because they were so perfectly designed to be unrebuttable. I mean, every aspect of them was, was there. And if you want to, if you want to go a little bit deep into that, I suggest you do this, go out and Google, uh, Christine Blasey Ford and see other than her faculty page, what you're able to find about her on the internet from prior to, uh, the allegations against Kavanaugh. If you're interested, you can, you can check that out. But again, you see, but on the other hand, so like you see, you see how those allegations were treated. Now look what happened to Monica Lewinsky, right? Her life was basically wrecked, right? In part by, you know, the very feminist who backed Bill Clinton on it. Tara Reid, who, you know, accused uh, Biden uh, of, you know, improper behavior. Like the New York Times went, put a microscope all over her life, trying to like find everything they could do to discredit that. So this idea that like, oh, I'll just, I'll just, you know, abuse is bad. And uh, so if I get some abuse allegations against them, uh, that'll affect them. No, it doesn't work that way, right? And that's what I mean. Like, they're not, they don't care about abuse, right? It's a, it's a tactic that they use to win in battle. And so what works for them may not work for you, right? And so I think there is this sense of, um, you know, Sun Tzu's art of war, right? He's, he's got this line in there, know your enemy and know yourself, and you need not fear the outcome of a thousand battles or something like that. And the key is, frankly, most conservatives don't understand their enemy very well at all. And they don't understand themselves all that well either. So again, I, I don't have time to like, I mean, I don't understand all this stuff as well as I should, to be quite honest. You know, I'm still kind of studying it myself, but I can give you some pointers. So one of the books I, I mentioned in The Last Masculinist is called SJW's Always Lie by a guy named Vox Day. You must say, Aaron, Vox Day's a bad guy. Well, maybe so, but you know what? This book actually tells you a lot of what you need to know uh, about how this works. I think it's interesting. He says that Gary North's book on the uh, Presbyterian controversies was called Cross Fingers, and meaning the idea was that all these liberals— uh, were swearing up and down that they adhered to the Westminster Confessions, but they had their fingers crossed. And so it didn't count. And so dishonesty and shady tactics, right? That's the coin of the realm with these people. And you are toast if you don't understand that. And again, do I have to, you know, say that 
each individual person I've seen into their heart and I know what their motivations are? No, I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as a heuristic rule that you can apply to, you know, anticipate behavior quite apart from any, you know, ability that you think you have to have to see into anybody's motion, uh, uh, you know, heart. As I said, this idea that we have to extend other people the presumption of good faith, uh, I just don't think that's true at all. I think they have to make them earn any credit uh, that we give them. And so, you know, that's one of the things. Just understand how these people operate. And then look at, you know, how did, if you look at like some of the made men, if you will, who fell, how did they fall? Well, if you look at a guy like Mark Driscoll or James McDonald, you know, those guys really got taken down by pretty much garden variety scandals, financial improprieties, paying to get your book onto the New York Times bestseller list. You know, I think it's interesting that all these guys had more or less full-time oppo bloggers digging up dirt on them. And most of these, you know, most of these watch sites, if you will, uh, are kind of by liberal people. So I think about Warren Throckmorton, for example, who was really on a mission, it seemed like, to take down um, uh, uh, Mark Driscoll. And people would leak because he got known as the Mark Driscoll guy, like internally dissatisfied people were leaking him documents, whatever. And I mean, that guy really had Mark Driscoll's number. Uh, very early. And again, all these guys are quirky, et cetera. Not everybody's going to do that. But there's much less, call it, oppo research on the right. Um, yes, there are some of these, uh, you know, discernment blogs or whatever you want to call them that. But a lot of them tend to be very, um, you know, a lot, very focused on, um, you know, call it theological questions more than organizational questions. Uh, you know, that pulpit and pen guy, which I haven't looked at them in a long time, but I think they were, <laughs> they were interesting. Again, all these guys are quirky. But a lot of their understanding of who's financing some of these people, that's really interesting. That's really interesting data. But, you know, they were all over the map and, you know, they didn't have any focus. And so, yeah, wouldn't it be interesting to know, like, what's really going on inside some of these uh, liberal empires? Probably, maybe it's not an abuse scandal. Maybe there's something else going on in there. But it might be interesting to know. But anyhow, I think the key is, are you playing for scraps or are you playing for keeps? Liberals play for keeps. Conservatives have a tendency to essentially act like they're playing for scraps. And so that mentality change uh, is something that, that has to be there. And it's just something to watch for uh, as, as you see what happens out there and as you decide what you're going to do. Again, it's not always clear what you should do. Uh, but, uh, you know, just the mentality, being aware of your own mentality towards exit and things like that versus how the other guys are doing it, uh, I think is, is really important. So I'll wrap it up right there and uh, talk to you next week.